about to hear part two to this episode of climate mayhem if you haven't already go listen to part one to get the full story yeah i think that's an interesting thing that we're thinking a lot about and a lot of the founders we're talking to you know we're, we're learning a lot about which is this idea of kind of building so this is something jacob and i've been talking about over the last couple of days as we were preparing for this interview which is building this kind of brand building this different kind of way of talking about this problem. I think we would all acknowledge, and please check me if you don't, but I think there's been a bit of a failure in the messaging of climate change, like you said, global warming, because we have been talking about this for a long time, and there hasn't been a lot of movement on it. Like a lot of people still don't care. Even what Jacob said a minute ago, like some people just don't want to talk about it. Maybe they don't know how to talk about it. But then you still have the Teslas of the world, right? Like yeah. you still have a company here that did build a brand, made it sexy, made it something different and unique to buy, regardless of the climate impact. How do you think about that as a PR person? And like, how do we acknowledge the fact that like, we're not necessarily pushing this ahead fast enough, maybe because we're branding it wrong? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I will set aside all commentary on Elon Musk, the man, and say that <laughs> as a founder and builder of a brand, he's a genius. Right. But it's, it's actually pretty simple in my mind. The reason Tesla is such a valuable brand is because they built an awesome product that is awesome. If you just completely ignore the fact that they are really making a huge dent in the climate crisis by replacing fossil fuel burning cars with electric mm -hmm. vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you get in a Tesla, it's just a cool car, man. Like it's just yeah. fun to drive. It looks cool. It feels like a spaceship and makes funny sounds. There's like little games that, <laughs> right. you know, you can play like that's just smart. It or not drive it. You could get in or and not, not drive it. Yeah, he's like, hang in, hang out. Yeah. <laughs> so regardless of where you fall on concern about or even belief in, in the climate right. crisis, you get in a Tesla and it's like, damn, this is cool. I want one of these. And mm -hmm. I think that's the key right there. And, that, and to extend it out to other climate tech, the great thing about climate tech, other than it being so amazing as a solution to this huge problem, is that almost every case, it's just better. It's an evolution. So right. electric cars, smart home stuff, heat pumps, uh, induction stoves, there's a litany of reasons to replace your old crappy car, stove, you know, thermostat, whatever, with this new thing, because it just works better. It saves you money. It saves you time. It's fun to use. Um, and I think, you know, to put a fine point on answer your question, Ty, like, the the failure has in large part been like we're not highlighting all these other awesome things about climate yeah. solutions other than the fact that they're climate solutions because mm. again like there's you can just go down the list of products that are really just work better i mean electric cars yeah there's no emissions great there's also like 90 percent fewer moving parts you don't have mm -hmm. to get oil changes the only thing you yeah. have to change are your tires and your windshield wiper fluid <laughs> and you know who loves like a loud smelly car that you know is a pain in the ass and you have to take to the shop every three right. months 
Nobody does. And you right. can just say like, hey, this other car, it runs in a very different way, but actually is way easier to take care of and cheaper to take care of. Oh, and by the way, the fuel is also cheaper and you can get the fuel in your garage. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You can yeah. plug it in and do and they're fast, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and they're, they're cool. Yeah. And they're like, it's all this mm-hmm. stuff that Americans love about cars without maybe some Americans do like the loud cars. But yeah. point is, you know, it checks a lot of those boxes. Yeah. And I, I apologize. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here and steal a question because I feel like sure. we just had an inflection point where we missed or are in the process of missing an opportunity with what mm. you just said around not having to replace something, but getting something cooler, right? That is the capitalistic, as you know, yeah. Jacob and I are exploring this capitalistic idea around doing something to make money, not just to to save the earth or, or complete a mission, but we're missing something in this gas stove conversation that's happening right now, right? Yeah. We're telling people we're going to ban something instead of gain something. You're going to lose yeah. something yet again instead of getting, you're losing your plastic straws again, right. all over again yeah. uh, for this thing. Like as a PR guy, how do you help us change the way we talk about this? How do you, what do you think about this and how do you help us? Yeah, I think in addition to products that just work better or cool to have and use, there are tons of benefits. So the gas stove debate is a great example because it all started when a consumer products regulator said, hey, these things are dangerous. We're going to look at ways to regulate them to mitigate that danger. And that might include banning them. And then everybody completely freaked out. And so, yeah, not the smartest move on his part individually. And I've actually heard arguments from both sides of like, actually, it was a good thing for the debate because it got people thinking about it, uh, mm-hmm. or it was a bad thing because then it became this culture war issue. And now all these people are, are that might have gotten an induction stove are not going to. Either way, like when you have scientific data that says gas stoves gives your kid asthma, and you know most parents are going to say, oh, really? I have a gas stove. That mm-hmm. kind of freaks me out. What can I do about it? That's when you jump in and say, I got a solution. It's called an induction stove. It's cheap. It works great. It uses way less energy and there are zero emissions from the cooking. Your kids, you know, lungs magnets. are at much lower risk. Magnets. Yes. The magnets. Power of magnets. Yeah. It's yeah. safer yeah. too. It's much safer. Mm-hmm. Much safer. The, uh, the cooktop, the cook service doesn't get hot. Only the pans get hot. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's, that's it, right? It's like highlighting the other benefits. And then mm-hmm. when we're ready, we can say, oh, by the way, that's actually really good for, you know, a climate solution because mm-hmm. add up all those millions of homes that have natural gas stoves, water heaters, heaters, furnaces, um, that's a lot of emissions. And so if we can start replacing them now, whether somebody's doing it because they want to save their kids' lungs or the climate or both, doesn't matter. The effect is the same. So yeah, calling yeah. out, yeah, calling out climate tech as tech maybe is probably a good way to say right. it. like, hey, this is just new tech. There, not, yeah, I'm a tech. <laughs> yeah, is this new thing that's a better way of doing it? And I think that's you hit it on the head, Ty, when you said like the environmental movement, the climate movement is often associated with like, hey, you feel bad about that. You have to give up that thing. <laughs> it's um, attraction, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm here to tell you, nobody has to, nobody has to give up anything. Even Americans that live like comparatively luxurious lives, whether we should or not, I will set that aside for now, but (laughs) we don't have to give that up. Like you can have everything that you have now. It's just a question of getting used to things working a little differently, just like with the Tesla, right? Like you get in and it's like, oh, this feels different. And, oh, I'm not used to the big screen right there. And, you know, the the braking is different. But 
it's just better. Like people that drove a horse and buggy that got into mm. the first automobile, they were freaked out at first, but mm-hmm. they saw, wow, this is awesome. And once they adjusted, that's that was the way of the world. And I think that's where we're at mm-hmm. right now. And trying to get that mentality applied to many technologies is I think the big challenge and, and one that is incredibly conquerable right now because there are so many amazing technologies out there. And, and the more climate communicators we have, the more quickly, you know, that wide adoption will happen. I want to add one other piece of complexity here to talk to, because it makes me think of one of our previous guests, one of your clients. How do you apply this to those companies that are kind of steeped in the science? Because I think there's another challenge, which is not just the takeaway, not just that I have to sacrifice to save the world, but that I have to learn either this new terminology or this new science. And I immediately think of someone like Drone Seat, right? Like a previous audience member of ours, Grant Canary, great guy. And honestly, there's a part of me that's like just such a super cool company. I told Grant when he was on the show about how I've been following his company since I heard of it, you know? He's been fanboying. Drones, yeah, totally fanboying <laughs> out. Drones <laughs> planting trees. Like how cool, yeah. like where does it get cooler than that? But really, there's this other piece of it that I don't, you know, I I would love to see, I'd love to apply some of these principles to, which is this idea of reforestation even, right? Another big term. Really, what it means is, man, we have all these wildfires, stuff's burning down, and guess what? There's this amazing tech out there that's replanting this. And it's tech and people. But then there's that hero story of, like, the people out there planting trees. And talking to Grant, we got a lot of that. But there is a lot of the science and the policy and the other language as well. How do we apply these principles of marketing, branding, making it sexy and cool to even you know to some of these more science-heavy uh, solutions that we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I hate to repeat myself, but I think it's it's the same solution. You find the benefits and you simplify them as much as possible. So I think drone seed so is, it is applicable. Example. It is applicable, basically. Totally, yeah. And and drone yeah. seed is is a good example. Because I would assume you got into them because you saw like a news story about them and they're like, drone seed, hmm, what does that mean? Like, what does that name right. even mean? And then yeah. you saw a cool video of their fancy drones flying around over a burnt out forest and you're like, oh, damn, I'm going to keep reading. So they capture your attention with a, like a familiar technology that has this sort of whiz bang factor, right? Like unmanned aer- mm-hmm. aerial vehicles doing all this fancy stuff, you know, taking cool photography and they're using it in this really interesting way. And then you bring people in and then Grant, I think, is a really good messenger because what he can do is break down the science, which is essentially everyone knows there's wildfires and everyone knows those wildfires are getting worse and hotter and bigger because of climate change. But what people don't know is that because of the climate change has supercharged these fires, forests can't regenerate, can't regrow on their own the way they used to. So Mm. we as humans need to help the forests do that. And that's what drone seed does. So there's a ton of other really interesting stuff that they do, including carbon offsets to try to, you know, make those reforestation projects happen. But it all starts with, hey, did you know, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, anyone who lives in the Pacific Northwest or elsewhere on the West Coast, they're very familiar with wildfires and that they're happening more often. And like, oh man, somebody should do something about this. A company like Dronesy can come in and say, hey, look at our cool tech. And Mm -hmm. we're also doing something about this. Keep reading, keep listening. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're going to, you're going to find a way to, support those efforts. Um, And yeah, it's just about how deep into detail and science is your audience willing to go, but always start with the like big, easy to understand impact, the benefit of what you're doing, whether it's climate related or not. 
and then you know you lead people down your rabbit hole and, and hopefully get some business out of it and, and get more solutions deployed uh, in doing so. I love the bang whiz comment because I had another <laughs> epiphany uh, in that conversation, which was what you just mentioned, carbon offsets. Like I'm one of those people, the carbon offsets was a, a nonsense word to me. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what Spotify <laughs> just bought carbon offsets. That sounds like greenwashing if I've ever heard it in my life. And then I meet Grant Canary in Drone Seed and I'm like, wait a second, they paid you to plant trees? <laughs> to mm-hmm. offset carbon oh yeah. <laughs> like what a moment trying to create more of those moments feels like the the place that we got to go so yeah, yeah i appreciate it. a lot a lot of help but i've just been pushing on this idea of like the teslas of the world where we like mm-hmm. i'm buying a car because it's cool you know i'm buying yeah. a car because it's cool does it help the environment that's cool too but guess what this one's fast and it drives itself yeah <laughs> that's that's yeah, why totally. i'm buying it you know, yeah. yeah. And I, I think there's something uh, that's to be said for not just the sort of difficult to understand nature of a lot of climate tech, but also literally a hundred years of fossil fuel companies and other interests, industry groups specifically telling us in all sorts of different ways with advertising, with advertorials, something that looks like news, but is actually propaganda literally a century of them saying oil and gas is the best energy source. It's mm. like creates jobs. It's part of the backbone of the American society. Our life would, you would be lost without fossil fuels. There's no alternative. This is the only way you have to do it. And, you know, they're incredibly effective, always have been, continue to be quite effective rather than denying climate change. Now it's like, oh, well, we actually don't need to act too quickly. And it's actually not that big of a deal. Mm. So, you know, that's in our brains. Going back to the gas stove debate, most people are familiar with the term, now you're cooking with gas, right? That means like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're getting it right, right? Now you're cooking, right? Now you're cooking with gas. That was a phrase invented by advertisers for the natural gas industry in the 1940s. And so they went to radio and TV talk show hosts and said like, hey, can you like, start throwing this term into your show and they did it. And now it's just a thing. And so it's funny to think about, you know, where do those, even just like terms of phrase like that, they live in our brain and they, they have meaning, right? Like they influence our behavior, even if we don't know it. And so when you have senators uh, (laughs) saying like, you'll never take my gas stove. I love Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. It's not because they have tested all of the different stove options and decided gas is the best. It's because either they've been paid directly by the oil and gas industry to defend them, or they bought into this, you know, uh, description of the world and how it is by a very well-developed and sophisticated propaganda apparatus, whose number one objective is to just make more money or both. And, you know, I don't blame people for that. Like it's a hundred years. That's a long time of saying like, this is the way to do it. It's the best thing ever. And anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to take something away from you. And that's what we're up against. And so I think that, you know, in in addition to not great history uh, of like proactive messaging, you know, we're up against a pretty major foe here in the climate communications uh, world when it comes to literally the biggest companies in the world that have everything at stake and want to keep energy and understanding of climate change exactly where it is as long as they can because then they can Mm. keep raking in big money and it makes it hard for climate communicators especially when there's this there's a bias confirmation i'm using the gas stove example again you know like chefs people who have restaurants they just stand Mm. by the gas stoves and so they Mm -hmm. go you try to cook with an electric top 
and you try and you do it yeah. side by side with the gas stove and they go, it's so much faster. I, you know, I need the mm-hmm. time back because I have to make, you know, a hundred dishes in a night. Right. But yeah. if you did a side by side with an induction stove and a gas yeah. stove, it's actually just as fast, which is kind of hard to believe until you actually see it until you try yeah. it. Right. But the companies uh, and with the help of some politicians, they're able to say exactly. It's just not as fast. Right. You know, yeah. It's, it's not the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, Again, like they're very sophisticated. I mentioned an example from the 1940s. An example from last week was, uh, I think it was during the AFC or NFC championship, there was an ad, the Daily Show called out. That was this thing. It was like two people going on a date and all the products made from petroleum like disappear. And it's like, oh my God, like our lives are terrible. <laughs> and, you know, it's not wrong. There is petroleum right. in everything that we touch. But what is wrong is the implication that it's the only way these things, right, these things right. you love could never exist without oil and gas. That is absolutely not true. And then, you know, on top of that, even the last couple of years, industry groups paying Instagram influencers to make that same argument that you brought up, Jacob, of like, hey, guys, how's it going? I'm just about to make uh, some stir fry on my lovely gas stove. Ooh, look at that blue flame. <laughs> oh, it's so delicious. I feel so cozy. And that really just gets in people's heads. And they, yeah. and especially, you know, younger people. Maybe they're not, maybe they're 10 years away from buying their first stove, but they're going to remember that. And, oh, my favorite influencer, yeah, it's gonna she be, loves yeah, gas yeah. stoves. So yeah. it's both sophisticated and successful. So hats off to them. But I think part of what I want to do with my career is make sure people know they're being deceived, that it's not on the level, yeah. that the things they're saying are sometimes they're partially true and sometimes they're outright lies. And they've been getting away with it for a long time. And just let me do a quick plug for two journalists that are right on top of Please. this stuff. Yeah. Amy, Amy Westervelt does a lot of reporting and writing in different outlets. She has a podcast called Drilled. And Drilled? Emily Atkin. Drilled, yeah. And then Emily Atkin is a great reporter who has her own uh, newsletter called Heated. And she's been done tons of reporting on all of this stuff. And I could talk about that for a long time. It's kind of a downer, but it's more like, I just want to know, you know, I want people to know what we uh, are up against in terms of people trying to maintain a status quo that's not working. It's burning the world down in a very literal way. So uh, let's switch it up. Yeah. You mentioned they can be sophisticated, successful at this kind of marketing. It seems like they can actually be pretty great marketers, PR people themselves. Yeah. What are they doing here? Like, how is it working? What's their tactic? Yeah. I mean, money is bottom line. Like they can pay and there's actually drilled reported on this recently. From the 1970s to the to the 1990s, Exxon paid millions of dollars to the New York Times to run, forget the term, but it was basically news articles that were propaganda disguised as news. They were able to do that for 20 years. And like, who can afford to advertise the New York Times on a regular basis? Only the biggest companies out there. So just like saturating every communication media with these same messages and keeping it up and up and up, paying scientists to hold up, you know, not really uh, accurate reports that seem to contradict climate change. When you have a lot of money, you can pay people to do and say a lot of stuff. And so, you know, that again, going back a hundred years, that adds up. It accumulates in our consciousness. Yeah. And I don't want to say that they aren't good at it. Right. Like that ad probably convinced a lot of people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those, those libs are going to take away my oil and gas. And that means I can't watch football anymore. Therefore, I hate them. <laughs> so, you know, like that's not a bad ad other than the fact that it's completely misleading. Yeah. yeah. And speculating just a little bit of like what I would think is maybe how they're able to do it successfully is they are able to play to our egos in some way, even like yeah. culturally infused things that we take pride in. Maybe egos too harsh mm-hmm. of a word, right? 
So like we pride ourselves on having freedom. We pride ourselves on being able to get something if we really want it. Right. And then, so someone taking that away from us is like, yeah, there's enough that aversion very quickly to be like, no, that's not, that's not right. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want that. I want to have what mm-hmm. I've, I've really enjoyed this thing. Right. Yeah. Totally. That also, they're also doing that. It's probably, there's like a great dissection of exactly sure. what they're doing. Yeah. And there's lots of other research and other great journalists who I, you know, probably can't all think of on the top of my head, but uh, tons of research and reporting out there and doesn't take a long time to like see what's going on. And, and Climate Town has a great video. Their most recent video is about big oil, you know, paying people to lie about stuff. So, and yeah, a lot of that is like, you love X, X is only here because of fossil fuels. Therefore, any sort of climate action will make your life worse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yeah, not true. We'll definitely well, link them. But going back to what we said at the, you know, kind of the beginning of this idea around climate communications, I mean, I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of the original stories were about making changes in your life yeah. that involved sacrificing something or giving something up that you did before. And it just doesn't feel like a great mm-hmm. counter message to yeah. this message of like, but you need fossil fuels. And I feel like that's where I'm like, I'm excited about what you do for companies. I think it's a super important thing because I do think we have this opportunity to change the voice, change the the message, if you will. I mm-hmm. think that's what we're trying to do on this podcast, which is talk about like, it's not just about, listen, we all love the nonprofits. I would give to nonprofits, but we're here talking to founders who also want to make money. And mm-hmm. I think there is this importance of aligning incentives. And I feel like that's what we're, we're kind of acknowledged about. Just yeah. to touch on the money part of it. I mean, I think we, in a lot of that research that you were talking about, a lot of the journalists pointed out that, it, yes, there was big corporate money, but there was public money, meaning there was governmental, you know, yeah. participation in some of these things. We've now had the largest bill ever written. How does the IRA, in your mind, change maybe? if at all, this Mm -hmm. money conversation, at least from the governmental partnership perspective of it. And yeah, staying true to our effort to keep language simple, IRA's Inflation Reduction Act, which is confusingly named because it's actually, you're exactly right, it's the biggest climate bill ever passed at the national level, I would say by any country anywhere, certainly in the US. The impact is going to be massive. It's, it's, It's super nerdy and it'll happen in a thousand different ways, but Bottom line is it will create jobs, it will generate wealth, it will prop up, it will not prop up, it will facilitate the growth and create birth, allow to flower dozens of new industries that will make America so much stronger in so many different ways. So really can't underestimate those impacts. Um, Forget the title of it, but a reporter named Robinson uh, Meyer, who was at The Atlantic, wrote an article about this, I think it was in December of last year. And he basically laid out like all of the projections of how this money will impact society are just mind-blowing in terms of, Interesting. again, job creation, wealth generation, um, you know, getting people to where they need to go in order to move our entire economy, entire society in this new direction away from fossil fuels toward lower carbon living essentially. And I think, you know, it's actually lines up really well with what we were talking about earlier of like, talk about the other cool stuff, because I think what the IRA figured out and how it eventually got passed in a, in a very politically fraught environment was it's almost all carrots and no sticks. So before, just like, mm, you know, nice. the early messaging around environmentalism was don't do this, don't do that. Yes. Put down that, give up that thing that you love. Early attempts at federal regulation around emissions or, or other climate 
related issues was like, you're going to be penalized for doing this or that. If you're a mm-hmm. state that is building new coal power plants, you're going to be mm-hmm. penalized for that. IRA took the opposite approach and said, we're going to give you so many dollar reasons to build a solar plant. Instead, you would be stupid to build a coal plant at this point. And so, you know, but that's, that's what government, in my estimation, this is where government and capitalism can actually do a lot of good because government can prime the pump, get companies excited to take that money and do stuff with it. The best companies figure out the tech solutions the fastest and the, and the best way. They rise to the top, they employ people, they generate wealth, they disseminate those solutions, they get people excited. And that happens yeah. across sectors. But you know, the IRA does that with so many things like weatherizing your home. Like that's a right. pretty boring thing, right? We have like little air cracks in our home that make it way more expensive to heat in the winter and cool in the summer. And by the way, it makes it super uncomfortable. Just like sitting, you know, right, in, right. in the basement, like, oh, this sucks, it's cold down here. If you yeah. just pay somebody to like put cock in those cracks, like you're saving and reducing emissions while also making your home more comfortable. So yeah, there's a provision called the Homes Act, which is folded into IRA. It just throws money at people to do exactly that. Wow. And what does that do? That creates jobs for contractors that are doing that kind of work. It gets people who are thinking about it, you know, off of the fence to actually do it. It gets people who weren't thinking about it to actually do it. And just think of all the positive yeah, yeah. effects of that. So that's a very small example, but there's so many more. And uh, yeah, it's it really can't overstate the positive impacts of IRA. It's very exciting stuff. On the heels of that, a couple questions where obviously we, we talk to startups and startup founders, people trying to jump into this space. What are your kind of tips or tricks or recommendations to founders wanting to start something in climate tech or other type of earth saving company today? Yeah, I think uh don't have a lot of deep wisdom here. It's, it's stuff you probably hear in a lot of other sectors. But I think one thing I love about climate tech is that it's a very, it's much less like doggy dog environment. I think even mm-hmm. among competitors, there's a shared sense of mission and there's a shared desire for everybody to succeed to some degree. And mm-hmm. so that would lead me to say first piece of advice is like start networking. If you want to start, mm-hmm. you know, a, nice. a company in a specific climate sector, find people in that sector reach out to the founder, be like, hey, I have an idea that's kind of similar to yours, or maybe it's a different little niche within the climate world. But in my experience, and I and I do this all the time, it's one of my favorite things to spend my time as like some random person's like, hey, I want to work in climate, or I'm thinking of starting a company. Can you talk to me about it? And I say, hell yeah, let's do it. Yes. So start with that. And you're going to find, I think more often than not, like people that are very generous with their information and advice, and they'll probably introduce you to other people. And or you know it, you, you know you have your your team together, and you're you're talking to investors, and you're you know well on your way. From your unique perspective, I think I think PR firms have a great unique perspective, which is you get to see what a lot of companies are doing. You also get to see what the public is responding to. In your mind, what's the next big step change in climate tech, sustainability, climate action? Well, let's start with what I hope it is. I hope that the climate towns of the world will lead a sort of shift in the cultural imagination. And I think that's such a huge part of what needs to happen right now at this stage in, in you know, the, the climate movement is, I mentioned not enough people talk about it, like make, give space, give reason to talk about it. So, you know, I think Don't Look Up was a great example. I want to mm-hmm. I want to live in a world where there's 10 Don't Look Ups released every year. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so I think that that is sort of starting... There's actually a new show on Bloomberg that's hosted by Cal Penn of uh, Harold and Kumar go to White, White Castle fame. 
very esteemed film uh, in the American catalog. Um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but yeah, but it's it's. Uh, I think there's only two episodes out, but it's it's a great it's a great show because it does that same kind of thing, a little less funny than Climate Town, but it's about here's a problem, here's some stats about it. We're going to go talk to somebody who has a solution. We're going to skeptically examine that solution and see if it actually is going to work and then sort of leave it there and then move on to the next topic. So I think between interesting journalism and a lot of like creative artists getting involved and speaking about climate in a lot of different ways, that uh, I hope is going to be the next step change that will facilitate a lot of other sort of private sector and government progress on climate. In terms of technology, I actually think carbon offsets are have a lot of potential. <laughs> They're they have a lot of problems, <laughs> not mm-hmm. least of which is they're hard to understand. Uh, they are absolutely greenwashing in many, many cases, but I think they're moving in the right direction. And I think it's, I'm not an economics guy. I had to take economics classes in grad school. That's really <laughs> the only thing I know. But the one thing I remember and understood very deeply, very quickly was the concept of externalities. So mm-hmm. GDP, like numbers, you know, stock prices going up and down, numbers that we throw around to say the economy is good or bad. They don't consider the fact that, oh, Exxon made a massive profit, but they also imposed upon our society a billion dollars worth of environmental damage and public health impacts. And so those are externalities because they're external to the calculations of, is this a valuable company or is this a valuable industry or, or activity? So I think offsets are a step in the right direction towards internalizing those externalities saying like, hey, we're making money, but we're making climate change worse as a company at the same time. So we've got to figure out a way to compensate for that. So they're far from perfect, but I think they have the right idea, which is giving credit where it's due and going back to drone seed. If you put a tree where a tree would otherwise not grow, that tree is going to not just absorb carbon over its lifetime, but also uh, contribute to habitat restoration, Mm -hmm. water filtration, Mm -hmm. air pollution uh, mitigation. So all of those things, you could, it's actually pretty easy to put a dollar value on those things. So let's mm-hmm. start doing that. My thinking is give it a few more years and you'll see maybe some regulation, maybe more innovation combining to make carbon offsets like a really effective or certainly more effective tool for internalizing those externalities and, and you know aligning uh, incentives for companies you know to consider their climate impacts a lot more deeply. I have hope well, for carbon been, markets too. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been hearing about this push of like, the first step is to get companies to have to report on it, right, mm-hmm. on their corporate filings, on their, uh, you know, on their balance sheets, um, to say this is, this was the impact that we created, and then, yeah. then forcing them there, therefore to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Thank you for all of that. I feel like we could go, I've got like a, you know, I, I know. go down a, another <laughs> rabbit hole or three, but Jacob, I think it's time. It's time. Uh, all right, Josh. Uh, we do some, yes, extremely hard. I don't know if you'll survive. It's called Rapid Mayhem Questions. And uh, let's let's see how you do. Are you ready? Okay, ready. Okay, all right. True or false? 2022 Climate Tech VC funding totaled $40 billion, which was up about 90% from 2021. Hmm. All right, I mentioned before, I'm not an economics guy. I'm really more sure. of a word person than numbers. But <laughs> uh, I think the $40 billion figure is about right. But I also know that 2021 was a bonanza year. And especially because toward the end of 2022, big drop off. So I'm going to say false because the 9% increase is not accurate. All right. You are correct. It's actually higher. It's $70 ah. billion. 
And I'll include the link in the show notes, but this company called Holland IQ tracks all of it. And we can see it has a category itemization of all these companies and, and, nice. and what it was. So it was big, very big. All right, next one. But you got it right. But you got it right. Got- you see, you got it right. Yeah. True or false. January, 2023, there are 83 climate tech unicorns around the world who are now collectively valued at $180 billion. True or false. Wow. And unicorn is billion dollar valuation or higher. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said 80. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm going to, I'm going to say true and assume the valuation is also accurate. You are correct. You are correct. Nice. All right. Two all right. Two. two for two. True or false, about 20% of all U.S. emissions are directly attributed to what we do at home as consumers. This includes utilities, shelter, food at home, and supplies that we have at home. Think like furniture, paper towels, so forth. Mm. So directly Mm -hmm. attributed. But not transportation, not driving. No. That's not included. Okay. No. How much did you say? 20%. 20%. Oh, no. That's too low. It's got to be higher. I think it's closer to like 35, 40 maybe. Very good. It is about 40%. Depends on, you know, the, wow. the study, some say 43%, but the study I'll link is about 40, just under 40%. Nice. Very nice. Very, very nice. Yeah. All right. Last one. As of 2017, there are 500 nuclear power plants in the world and they create 11% of the world's electricity. True or false? Hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, 511%. I'm going to say true. That sounds about right. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Nice. So I got that from from Drawdown. True is easy. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's, it's a little bit easier. I got a 50-50 shot either way, but... uh, did well. I'd like to get the updated numbers on that just because there's been such back and forth around, you know, nuclear, more plants being created or not, especially during Trump's administration. It was that, it was looking dark, but things are looking up, uh, especially recently with what's going on in Ukraine. I saw you guys' article on putting bets on or predictions on what's going to happen in 2023. That's one of the things. So I hope mm-hmm. so too. I really do. All right, Josh. Yeah. So, so wrapping up here, climate change, it's massive. People often, they feel helpless in being able to help or do anything. What would you recommend is the one thing a listener could do? Say any busy soccer mom or tech young professional. Nice. Can I, can I give a, like one, one answer with two parts? Please. So number one, we already touched on this. Talk about it. Bring it up. Ask questions. Yes. No one you said know, that yet. Just get on it the show. out there. I yeah, love it. I love it. Yeah. It's so simple, but I think, you know, like I said, getting the idea of the problem and what the solutions are into the mainstream is, is what needs to happen next. And as an extension of that, get local. Like it's really easy to get lost and be like, oh my God, like climate bills and laws. And I don't know what to do to make our country less climate intensive. There's plenty of impacts and solutions and adaptations you can help advocate for in your local community. Highly recommend, for example, if you're a parent like me, go to your local school board, say, what's the deal with electric buses? When are we going to get some electric buses? Because as we've been discussing, just like a gas stove, they're better. They work better. They're cheaper to own and operate. And they don't give our kids asthma. So um, that's like a simple thing, just like bring it up at a school board meeting send an email to your superintendent, whatever. They are more expensive by a lot versus diesel buses, but there's, again, money in the IRA and other federal and state programs to make them very cheap and sometimes even free. So just one example, but it could be that. It could be going to a local meeting and saying like, hey, we, you know, our town is uh, near a river. Like, are we ready for flooding? Like, is you know, let's, let's start talking about that. 
or let's uh, make our biking and walking infrastructure better and more accessible so more people get out of their cars. Again, those are the kind of things that like, wouldn't it be nice if more people were right walking, walking and riding bikes in your town in addition to not making more emissions? So I think that's generally a good thing to do because you can feel good about what you do, help make a local impact. And that happens enough times uh, around the country, around the world. And we got a, a big movement on our hands. And it's something you can it. do that doesn't cost any money, you know, using your voice, yeah, yeah. writing letters, having those conversations with mm-hmm. people uh, is something that, yeah. you know, with the economy right now, a lot of people are getting laid off. I think it's not that you have to go buy food at a farmer's market and buy an $8 artichoke, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I love it. just to ex- expand on that, like, again, that's not, if somebody telling you, you have to stop eating meat, that's the only thing you can do to, to fight climate change. Absolutely not. If you want to do that, fine. There's a lot of good reasons to, but you don't have to give anything up. You can just make things happen. You can make positive happen. Right. Um, and anyone who tells you otherwise probably has a different agenda or doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Amen. Nice. That's a piece of advice that we haven't gotten yet, uh, both of those. And they line up perfectly with being a climate communicator, which, which I love and feels like the new theme. All right, <laughs> Josh, this was a blast getting to talk to you. Where can we find you? Where can we find Redwood? We are Redwood Climate Communications, so that's uh, redwoodclimatecoms.com or redwood.earth is a little easier to remember. They take you to the same place. Redwood.earth, okay. Yep, and I'm located in the beautiful Hudson Valley of New York, and I would love to hang out with anyone who wants to talk climate communicating, but uh, website's the best place to find us. We're also on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. And if uh, a climate company wants to work with you? Go to your website. You said uh, Redwood Daughter. Yeah. And if they had just hit contact mm-hmm. us, is that is that the best, most effective way? Yep. There's a contact form and uh, info at redwoodclimatecoms.com also works. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Josh, thanks for everything you're doing. Like I, yeah, yeah. I was, I was so pumped when we found you and we found the companies that, that you're working with as well, like really impactful work that I think, you know, on the surface, it seems like a niche. But really, it just has such a broad swath of impact and, and application of everything the work y'all are doing. You know, so I want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, thank, totally thanks agree. for saying that. Couldn't agree more, and uh, really appreciate you guys having me on. This is a really fun conversation. So, um, yeah, looking forward yeah. to to listening to more episodes. More to come. That's right. Great. Well, some of them are your clients, so that's super. That's right. That's <laughs> super apropos. <laughs> The longtime listeners will know that some of Redwood's clients are also on the podcast. Uh, highly recommend anyone thinking about marketing, whatever, use PR, talk to Redwood. As a startup guy, longtime startup guy, I always think startups do PR too too late in the game. They should always do it earlier than they think they should. It's such a such a powerful tool, especially if you have a strong partner doing it with you. So I, I highly recommend that just as a personal through my personal experience. So but it was a blast, Josh. Really appreciate all the conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Ty. Jacob, have a, have a good evening. Great to talk to you guys. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. Let's do it. Rock we'll and roll. It. Thanks, Josh. Bye. Bye. All right. Later. Boom. How was that? Well, there's more. So keep listening. We speak with climate tech leaders and change makers in EV, reforestation, solar energy, flood mapping, and a whole lot more. Also, you can give feedback or check out show notes at our website, climatemayhem.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Oh, don't forget, if you found this valuable or interesting at all, please hit subscribe. That way we know you're loving it. So just go to Spotify or whatever podcast app you're on. Hit that subscribe button at the top. Production was done by Daniel Steenkamp with cover art by Harrison Glenn. 
This is Jacob Kabika with my legendary colleague, Ty Wolf motherfucking Jones. Peace out, Climate Mayhem. Out. Out.